everybody, Scott Burnside, back for another morning edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. I haven't yet got the papers that Pierre Lebrun is allegedly filing to uh, to force an injunction to stop us recording without him. But the hell with him until he does. Arpon Basu stepping into the big seat. Arpon, I like to think of this mini podcast as like a fancy coffee with a double shot of espresso. And given that today we are looking at six elimination games, I like to call it Black Friday. I'm sure no one else has used that term, but this <laughs> is going to be. And if no one else has, I'm going to copy. No, you're the first. Right you're the first person to ever say that. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I might be the first person to say it this morning. Right. <laughs> Arpon, listen, we I, I want to we got to unpack uh, a lot obviously in the Eastern Conference and, and I especially am curious of, of your thoughts on the team that you cover the Montreal Canadiens for the Athletic and, and their potential elimination game against Pittsburgh later this afternoon. Uh but just in general, when you think of a day like today, here we are day 7 of the NHL's return to action. We have 6 games teams fighting for their playoff lives what how, how are you feeling today uh i'm excited i'm excited for for all i gotta tell you man like i i didn't think i would react this way but like you know last night i'm watching that lease game i'm in overtime and i actually tweeted it, it, was, it the feeling was so overwhelming i was just like, man i just I love watching hockey games they're so good <laughs> they're so amazing i'm so happy this is back in my life you know and, and, and it just like i just had this like it's just this rush of emotion i'm like oh my god i have to tweet this i have to do something i need to let this out so so yeah like today's the same deal like you know i mean honestly like I got to give props to the NHL and just how they've handled this whole thing. You know, you look at what's going on in MLB and and even, you know, the NBA had some hiccups, but I think it's going pretty well there as well for now. And, and but the NHL, like the product is really good. I really, the, the look in the rink and everything, it's just like, it's made it seem so, you know, you don't miss the, I, I already don't miss what, what hockey games used to look like. I'm already used to this. And yeah. I, I enjoy yeah. it thoroughly. So today is going to be fantastic. It's just been great. Right. It kind of sucks I got to work in the middle of it, but still. That's my job. So I can't, I I, can't complain about my job. You know? I know I, know I, I, I had to pitch it uh, for Arthur Staple the other day because he lost power in that big storm. And I was like, I had to go on the Zoom calls. And I was like, games are going on. Wait a minute. Yeah, I, I know. I'm missing, I'm missing something. To, I'm missing something. Yeah. Uh, but you alluded to, uh, you know, just an epic performance last night by the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, in a series that was tied 1-1. And for me, that series, that Columbus-Toronto series, I think has had the best juice right from the get-go. And it's been interesting. You know, we we watched the hockey nonstop here as a family in Georgia, my wife and son and I. And I literally had to get up and, and I watched all of overtime standing up. I'm like the fans in Nashville, right? I mean, I didn't even sit down. I was like pacing around and like it was just so unbelievable. And just, of course, the Leafs up 3 nothing midway through that game. And really, we had this conversation. We were like, okay, is this the year? Like, have the Leafs finally got it, right? They looked like they were paying attention uh, on both sides of the puck. Of course, enormously talented. Um, they they just look like a team that, ah, okay, maybe like Washington in 18 or whatever it yeah, is. They, looked they look like they got it. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, John Tortorella, it's funny, you know, a year ago against uh, Tampa in game one, he keeps Sergei Bobrovsky in goal after he gives up three in the first period and they come back to epically defeat Tampa in the first of what would be a sweep. Last night, he 
removes Eunice Corpusalo after the third goal, which wasn't a great goal. Who had been great uh, in the El- series, though. No, he's been outstanding. Yeah. And Elvis Merz-Lickens comes in, and I'm like, oh, my, you know, poor kid. Hasn't played in months, and now he's going to, you know, it, it's just basically thrown to the wolves. And yet, stops all 21 shots. Pierre-Luc Dubois plays the hero, scores late in the first overtime. Well, I, like, what was it like for you to watch that? Because it, it did, to me, the whole narrative completely different than midway through that game. Well, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people are, are you know, last night, the, the word dubis was trending on Twitter, you know, like I was like, oh man, really already. <laughs> and so, but really when you look at these two teams, like what's, what makes that series so compelling to me is that a traditionalist, a hockey traditionalist would look at the way Columbus plays and how they're built and say that team is built to play playoff hockey. And they would look at the way Toronto plays and the way Toronto is built and say that team is not built to play t- playoff hockey in the traditional way. And I think that, um, you know, I think what Kyle Dubas and, and the Maple Leafs have done is to say, okay, maybe the traditional way isn't the right way to do it. So, like, to me, that ser- this series encapsulates basically, like, new school hockey thinking and old school hockey thinking clashing head-to-head. And, and <laughs> right. this is why, like, that overtime to me is so compelling. Like, this is a referendum almost on the Maple Leafs model of team building. You know, every all the decisions they've made, and you saw it playing out. Like, I clicked on the Dubas trending topic, and it's just this steady stream of frustrated Maple Leafs fans. Why do we pay so much money to our top four players? Why do we do... But everything about how the Maple Leafs have been built is is an effort to find the new way. How to, how to operate in a cap system and, and, and invest in your most skilled, talented players and just fill in the gaps around them as opposed to having a balanced uh, team-building approach. I'm not saying Columbus did this on purpose, but the way that they're built is really... There's not that big of a, a difference between your best player and your worst player, whereas in Toronto, it's 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 a vast chasm. So that's why I find that series so compelling, and that's why in that overtime, like this is this is somewhat what was on the line in that overtime. You know, like this is like oh, two hockey philosophies going head to head. That's why I, I enjoyed watching that. Well, and what's so you know the the, the enhanced drama of all of this is that. And I can't remember what time did that game get over with, 11 o'clock or 11.30 yeah, somewhere. or whatever yeah, time. Yeah, somewhere around there. <laughs> right. And so now you're talking 20 hours until the puck. Well, it's less than that. Well, no, it's 8 o'clock game tonight, right? Yeah, so it's an 8 hours. o'clock game, yeah. Yeah, so so 20 hours and, and they're going to go back at it. What's your gut tell you? Are we are we seeing a game five? Because I'll tell you personally, we've got six elimination games today. I'm okay if we see six game fives on Saturday or something. Yeah. But what do you, <laughs> What what's your gut tell you? Do the Leafs is that the crippling blow, or do or or do we see a game five, um, to to maybe even further illustrate the, these two diametrically opposed approaches to how to build a playoff hockey team? Uh, I think um, the one guy who I've been really impressed with on the Maple Leafs through throughout this series has been Austin Matthews. I mean, he really seems to be elevating his game, and so you know he's reaching an age where. You know he's he's starting to look at his own you know performances in the playoffs when he was when he was really young, but he's coming of age, and and I think that you know I think those guys have a lot of pride, and I think they understand what's on the line here. Like they don't have it's weird to think of it this way. Like Austin Matthews is what twenty two something like that. I don't know, I don't, but it, like their windows closing strangely enough. You know, like I mean they have so much yeah. they have so much financial 
uh, handcuffs on, so many handcuffs on financially that, that their window is suddenly small somehow. I don't know how they managed to do that, but it's true. So I think the urgency, I think the Leafs are going to win tonight and force a game five. Like I, 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 and, you know, if they don't, the fallout in Toronto is going to be fascinating to watch. Like, honestly, like, I don't know what's going to happen if they lose tonight. <laughs> but it's not going to be good. <laughs> I, I I am completely with you, and it's here's the amazing part of this, Columbus Toronto great series. I feel bad for you know like the Panthers and the Islanders. They have game four today at noon. It was like okay, that's not even an appetizer. That's like if someone put you know like half a basket of bread on your table right at the start of your it's dinner. The you're like, sherb- no. It's the sherbet you get before like before one of the courses, you know. <laughs> well, you're like I don't want to eat any of that because I don't want to get too full. So exactly. I'm just gonna pass. You just push it to the side but you know to me you know and i i'm so i'm so pumped for uh, all of it but columbus toronto and it's in some ways you're like oh wait a minute what about pittsburgh montreal right i mean the team like if there was a team i i like pittsburgh even more than i liked edmonton as one of the qualifying round teams that that really i thought was a legitimate um you know cup contender like a team that you can say you know what that team they go to a conference final they go to a final they win it all i i completely get that i like them even more than edmonton because of the way they played this year because of their resilience they've had the injuries i just thought they and mike sullivan just seemed to be a, a guy so fully in control of that team and they missed out by being in the round robin by percentage points and and now here they are a team that you cover every day basically throwing the towel in on the season. They trade some guys. Look, they could have traded even more. Are you, what's your level of surprise? Scale of one to 10 that we're sitting here talking about, well, I wonder if Montreal will knock off Pittsburgh in game four tonight. Uh, five, I guess. Oh, I, I'm I not, love that. Great. Yeah. I'm not all that. Good. Well, honestly, because A, you know, all the things that people were worried about in terms of the unfairness of this situation, you know, all the things that you just laid out, and the fact that the Penguins had to run into Carey Price. And so Carey Price had not... And actually, you know what? If you reframe that question, how surprised are you... How surprised am I at the absolute like high bar that Price has set in this series? I'm a bit more surprised at that because I didn't know what to expect from Carey Price. We'd never seen him in this situation. But what he's showing is that when, when rested and when healthy... He's remains a world class elite goaltender, and 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 I think a lot of his trouble in Montreal over the last three years have come from overuse and over reliance, and just so that to me is is you know if I was a Canadians fan, I'd be reassured by that and say, okay, listen, you know, Canadians, figure out a way to get this guy some rest during the season, and maybe we can get this kind of carry price more often, you know, but. You know, I looked at the way the Canadians started the season, and, and and you know, it seems like years ago, but you know, on November fifteenth, when they when they got their first two injuries of the season, and and you know, Jonathan Drouin and Paul Byron went down, and Paul Byron was playing on the fourth line, he was playing horribly. So really, the Canadians, any decent team would be able to withstand that, but the Canadians are not that deep of a team, and so they they crumbled, they fell totally fell apart. They lost their next eight games. The season was essentially over. But up until November fifteenth, they were one of the better teams in the National Hockey League when fully healthy, because they come at you and they're just they play a different difficult style, where every line has speed and every line has the mandate to pressure the hell out of the puck at all times and. What's what's been surprising to me is that they haven't actually done that against Pittsburgh. They've been less aggressive 
on puck pressure and more focused on sheltering price and making sure that he can see everything and keep things from the outside. But, but I've, I've seen this group play well when fully healthy. Did I expect them? You know, it's not like they're only up two one and nothing's over, you know, I mean, it's a series and I expected it to be a series. So I guess in that sense, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I guess for me, and having watched that first round last year very closely between the Islanders and the Penguins, and uh, I I just they were just seemed so out of sorts. And and going back to what I was, I I liked what how they'd responded during the regular season, and yet here they are um, in a situation where they could be eliminated by you know. And I'm not saying the Islanders were a lesser team necessarily, and certainly they were. Uh, to your yeah, they were well <laughs> yeah, on paper, they were. right? I yeah, mean, you sure. know, Barry Trotz. But, but anyway, uh, now let me ask you this: and do you see this as kind of in the same way that we talked about? Well, this is a referendum, maybe in Toronto, about you know how that team is built and what happens next. I mean, is this a referendum in some ways in Pittsburgh, a team that won three Stanley Cups from '09 to '17? Uh, is this it, uh, what's at stake for? A team that you know is butting up against the term dynasty. I think it's fair to say. What's what's at stake here? Well, I think that's that's what's really driving Sid. You know, happy birthday, Sidney Crosby, by the way. Turns thirty three today. Exactly. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned that. I wanted to mention that. Yes, good call. So um, it's his birthday today, and and listen, I mean, I think the symbolism there is it's dripping. You know, like I mean, Sidney Crosby, <laughs> much like Carey Price. Carey Price will be thirty three in six days. You know, they they're born six days apart. They're taken four picks apart in the draft. I wrote about this after after game two, and and you know, Sid is looking at this playoff as 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 a chance to cement his his legendary status. You know, like four Stanley Cups puts you in a pretty select group, um, and and would essentially, you know, it would make it inarguable that the Penguins represent a cap era dynasty. Like that's that's it would be impossible right. to argue that point if they won that fourth cup. And you just heard stories of Sid you know, getting everyone to Pittsburgh for phase two, running these tough practices, like that group is driven to have this, to have this happen. And so it's, it's, it's not similar to the Maple Leafs in the sense that obviously it, the window closing in Pittsburgh is based on age more so than money. Uh, but, you know, I mean, guys like Sid, Malkin, Price, Weber, like the the, the, the older guys in this series, you know, it's a real thing when you kind of see the finish line, it might be far on the horizon, but it's coming. It's getting it's that that little dot on the horizon is getting bigger for these guys in terms of of their careers. And you know, Sid's such a driven guy. Like, I mean, I can't I can't envision a scenario where, where Sidney Crosby is not a dominant player today. You know, like he's the Canadians are going to have their hands full because Sid's Sid's going to come out and and respond. The guy I'm wondering about and the guy. Who, frankly, the you know the way he's played in this series needs to show up is Evgeny Malkin, and and you know, he needs yeah. to do something here. He needs to step up and show that he is, you know, one of the all timers because he hasn't looked like that so far through the first three games. Yeah, I uh, so one one question before I let you go: Do you, if you're Mike Sullivan, do you stay with with Matt Murray? I, I didn't like. Yeah, you know, listen, that's a great shot by Jeff Petrie off the side of the face. I don't like it, and right. I don't. I wonder. I. I uh, that and but it's such a now you're in elimination territory. Maybe Tristan Jari should have been the guy to start it in game one. But moot point now. But if you're Mike Sullivan, do you make a goaltending change or do you say I'm I'm not going to play that card because I want this team to do it to get up off the mat as a group and and finish this themselves. I don't know. Uh 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it would be somewhat unfair to put Jari in now. Um, it's funny we had um we had on our on our podcast the athletic support, but uh, Le Support Athletique was in French this week. We had Martin, we had Marty Buron on yesterday, yeah. and he was talking like he he thought it would just it would not be right to put Jari in, largely because while Murray has not been outstanding, he has not been bad necessarily. Like it's right. it's not. Agreed. The real issue in Pittsburgh to me is this insistence on keeping Jack Johnson in the lineup. Like I, I this I don't understand because yeah. he has been a tire fire throughout this entire series, and 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 it, it's clinging. Like Sullivan has options, you know, and they're not terrible options waiting to come in. You know, Ruedel and Ritola, and they have he has he has guys that he can bring in for Johnson, uh, and to a lesser extent, I think Schultz. But that pairing has been has been disastrous for them. And you know he's defended them throughout, and and really I'm 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 fa- I'm fascinated to see what happens today because if you look at the three games, it's impossible not to look at them and say, okay, well, the Penguins have been good for roughly sixty five percent of the play, and the thirty five percent they haven't been. Look who's been on the ice largely. It's it's that third pairing. So that's where I think Sullivan needs to make an adjustment. Uh, lovely stuff, my friend Arpon Basu, editor in chief of the Athletic Montreal. And I will say this: if I said it in French, it would be Athletic Montreal. Would that be close? Yeah, Athletic was it would be Montreal. It would be the, the T is Montreal. silent. So the T is silent yes. in French. Yes. Montreal. Yes. Le gâteau est sur la table. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oui. <laughs> Here we are. I always like to throw that in. The cake is on the table, the my friend. The cake is on the table. God, thank the cake God. Is on the table. Is there anything uh, more exciting than cake on a table? You know. Oh, you got that right. Co-hosts of the Athletic Support Podcast with Mark Antoine Godin. You should read Arpon's fine, fine work at the Athletic Montreal and uh, subscribe to his podcast. And you can follow Arpon at Arpon Basu. My friend, enjoy the day. I'm going to travel west now to bring in Daniel Nugent Bowman. So listen, I, I don't know if Daniel knows how big the shoes are that he has to fill, but it's pretty big. So thank you, Arpon. All right. Enjoy Black Friday. Trademark Scotty Burnside. <laughs> Daniel, I hope you, I hope I didn't put too much pressure on you. And I know like it's it's two hours earlier than it was for Arpon, and uh, he was pretty much at the top of his game. How are you feeling this morning? And, and just in case Arpon didn't pass along the information, I have trademarked today's six game slate of elimination games Black Friday. I'm sure no one else has used that term, uh, but feel free to use it yourself later today as long as you give me the appropriate credit. Does that sound okay? Bon matin, uh, Scott. That's about as much French as I know, (laughs) but uh, uh, yeah, I might need to use that. Uh, I didn't think, uh, you know, game four would be in a potential elimination game for for the Oilers, but uh, here we are, and I I just might use that. I'll I'll make sure to put the TM Scott Burnside beside uh, beside it if I need it. (laughs) <laughs> well, so just a just a note uh, for your future reference, uh, and uh, and Daniel, uh, obviously, we, uh, the you know we just got done talking with the uh, Arpon about Montreal Pittsburgh, and of course the other five seed uh, with its back against the wall uh, are the mm-hmm. Edmonton Oilers, who face a rejuvenated Chicago Blackhawks team. Uh, before I get, I get to that point, though, I, I do want to I wanted to touch base with you on. The one Western Conference series that that did finish yesterday, and it involves a team in your province, of course, uh, an all-Canadian matchup as uh, Calgary uh, 
dusted off Winnipeg in four games. And uh, I thought, you know, for me, one of the interesting parts of that series, and there were was lots of emotion, lots of storylines there, but uh, a former Oiler in Cam Talbot, who pitched the shutout in Game 3, a 4 nothing victory, uh, made 31 stops and ended up stopping, I wrote this down, uh, one... I did write it down somewhere. <laughs> anyway, he stopped. Yeah, I think he. Oh, sorry. He allowed six six goals in four games, and was outstanding. And you know, there's a guy that I think, you know, at one point it looked like he might be the goaltender of the future in Edmonton, and it, you know, it just it hasn't it hasn't worked out for him. And I think even going into the play-in round, there was a lot of debate, or at least I think externally, you know, is it going to be Dave Riddich in goal for the Flames, or or is it going to be Cam Talbot and Obviously, uh, Jeff Ward, the interim coach in Calgary, made the right choice. And I wonder if, if you are surprised by how that's played out. Because for me, the, the Flames really needed a goaltender that they could just, that he was their guy. And there, there wasn't any kind of controversy. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most you know pleasant and uh, surprises and best stories of the playoffs so far. Uh, considering how things kind of ended in, in Edmonton last year. I mean, uh, they brought in Miko Koskinen to kind of work in a, in a tandem and then um, gave him that that kind of uh, bizarre uh, co- contract extension right before Peter Shirelli was fired uh, last January, uh, about a year and a half ago. And that basically spelled the end of, of Cam Talbot stays in Edmonton, traded to Philadelphia, and then, you know, took, you know, it was in the needed to find a spot and, and of course he and Mike Smith essentially trade uh jobs uh, with the with the provincial rivals here in Alberta um but yeah I mean David David Riddick was the, the goaltender there basically all all year he's obviously had his ups and downs but you know going into the playoffs you wouldn't have uh, you know back in March you wouldn't have thought that that uh, Cam Talbot would be the goalie by any means and um, I thought he was tremendous last night, uh, you know, especially in the third period. And, and that's where I give Winnipeg a lot of credit because, um, you know, a lot of teams could have easily folded up the shoot. You know, you're coming into this really bizarro uh, playoffs in game one, you lose three important guys, two of your, your top, you know, scorers, your two top power play guys. And um, game two was, I, I, I attended that, that game after what all the, all the, uh, festivities and of game one just to make sure nothing got too crazy and and the jets um that might have been the most imp- impressive win of, of the playoffs the jets you know taking that game with all those guys going out and and they they were relentless i thought in in the third period um a lot of chances uh, nick ehlers was flying uh jack jack uh, roslovich although he was hook uh, missed an open net but um that game easily could have uh, swung in winnipeg's favor and you know anything could happen in a in a game five but but talbot i thought was was really the difference and again one of the uh you know for for somebody that uh had such a struggle you know d- disappointing and struggle of a season last year for him to to really turn it around i think uh is a is an amazing story and and a really likable guy, so you you, you have to uh, tip your cap and, and feel good for, for Cam Talbot. Yeah, no, and I think the Flames now, you know, I think they had 11 different scores in that first uh, in that first round in four games, and I, I just think the Flames, it's like the antithesis of a year ago where they had the pressure of being the top seed in the West and really just crumbled, mm-hmm. right? They just were, they faded. But now it's almost like, people were dismissive of them. I, I think they're going to be a handful in the first round. I, I don't care what the matchups are. I think of the four-round Robin teams, um, I, I think they match up quite well against any of them. Do you, you Your thoughts on 
uh, you know what they, may, they might do sure. for Sure, I mean, uh, you know, to me, you know, watching the Flames relatively closely, being as, as close as they are to the Oilers here, um, it just seems like they're they're they could be pretty, you know, inconsistent. You know, especially that top line, or the top two guys in, in Monahan and, and Goodrow. But when they're going, they they're a real handful, and they're and they're deep. Um, and you saw the different types of lines that they can throw at you. Um, you know, Sam Bennett was a physical force. Uh, Oilers fans will hate to hear this, but Milan Lucic, uh, especially in game four, had a, had a really strong series. It obviously set the tone. Not a big fighting guy, but he, you could tell how he, you know, he set the, fo- the the tone with that and, and it really kind of carried over throughout the course of the game. Um, uh, you know, obviously the, the defense being led by you know, uh, Mark Giordano. Uh, there's just there's a lot of different things that they can do and a lot of different ways that they can potentially beat you. And I think there's something to be said about the pressure. I know, um, you know, obviously there was a lot of, of pressure per se going into this season with uh, them being a number one seed and really, you know, laying an egg against Colorado. Colorado, after especially after game one, just completely overwhelmed them last year. Um but you know, going into it, you know they're they're pretty much, you know they're not in the the round robin series and kind of playing uh, with house money, so to speak. Given that they weren't a top seed, and now I th- I think the pressure is kind of off in a way. They've got their first playoff series victory. It's kind of weird to say, given if it's a you know play in or qualifier round, but since you know 2015, and and that could be something for them to build on. So I I totally agree with you. I think they're they're team to now uh, watch out for in the Western Conference. Now, a, a lot of that will depend on um, or some of that I, sh- I should say will depend on who they're matched up against in the in the next round. But uh, the way Calgary's going now, I think is. Uh, you know, is, is is good for them, and um, it uh, it kind of bodes well for them going going into the next round here. All right, so you know, we, lots of us still pine or or dream of a Battle of Alberta playoff series, and of course that was, is not going to happen unless the Edmonton Oilers get up off the mat and win two straight games against the Chicago Blackhawks team. That um, you know, again, like Montreal, you can make the argument that they shouldn't have been in this competition. They were sellers at the trade deadline. Team in really in disarray and yet they have really taken advantage of that four and a half month uh, break we've seen a number of their young players and I think we've seen this around the the, the, the return to play where young players you know have taken advantage of that time off to really mature and and instead of being you know sort of rookies I use my air quotes rookies they they're bona fide NHL players and uh, I think we've seen some of that with that Chicago team but I, I've been struck by this sort of curious sloppy of the entire series, at least from afar. And, and it looks to me like an Oiler team that just has, you know, there's no way that Chicago should win this series. Right? I'm sorry, right? With all due respect to Jonathan Taze. And listen, the Oilers are a better team and they should win the coaching matchup and they should win almost all the other matchups. And yet they haven't. And I wonder if there are elements of the fact that we're now talking about the potential for this Oiler team to be done after four games. Are there elements, what elements do you think have brought us to this point or things that have surprised you? You said, geez, you know, this shouldn't have happened this way. Oh, well, it's, it's kind of a a matter of where do we start? It seems like so much has, has gone wrong uh, for the Oilers uh, in this series. I mean, other than game two where Connor McDavid was just, you know, out of this world, uh, they really haven't played very well. Game one, Although McDavid had the had the, had an opening goal, uh, Mike Smith gave the puck away, and and they were playing 
badly from the, the opening minute of the game. They had allowed two odd men rushes. Um, you know, as soon as Smith gave that puck away and t- tied it up, it just seemed to go downhill from there. They were they weren't really close in game one, and game three. I mean, uh, again, they got off to to uh, to a decent start, but they you know it was a very sloppy game as you mentioned. Um, they took some really stupid penalties, uh, although you know their penalty kill was was good. Um, and they they only allowed the one goal uh, on a five on three, which was a you know questionable call at, at best against Chris Russell. It really took some players out of the game, uh, even Connor McDavid. I mean, from about the um, sixteen minute mark uh, of the second, or sorry, the first period, till about the eight minute mark of the second, they were killing penalties. And uh, of course, McDavid doesn't kill penalties. So what you know, Dave Tippett was really just trying to work him in with anyone he could for a little while after they uh, they you know they they had that uh, string of calls so um still they were they you know they had a you know, 3-2 lead in the with about 6 minutes to go in the third period and allowed um allowed two goals and and lost the game so um all those goals you know were were very fluky you know three point shots uh you know th- all three hit something on the way in um uh, Jonathan Taves's power play goal uh you know, basically went off his, his shin pad after he shot it and just like squeaked over the goal line. So, uh, you know, they probably deserved a better fate uh, in the series. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you look at what Chicago has done, and you mentioned some of these young players, and I've really liked Kirby Doc, but they've really they have a t- you know two one lead without Patrick Kane really going off. I mean, I know he, he does have four points, but uh, he hasn't had kind of that McDavid game two or you know even Drysaddle game three yet. And so if if he can go off uh, tonight, <laughs> this could be the end of the Oilers. I mean, they're they're down two one without. They're Chicago's best player doing a lot, and you know they they really haven't found their stride yet. And and the goaltending, uh, I I don't think it can be necessarily faulted, but you know you need to do a little bit better than they're basically at something like an eight sixty save percentage between the two guys, um, and uh, it's just a, a myriad of, of issues uh, for the Oilers that uh, really you know they shouldn't be in this in this spot against a team like Chicago. You know, uh- Arpon and I were talking about this with you know relative to the Penguins. When you think of the Oilers, if they lose to this team, if they lose to the Chicago Blackhawks, I mean, is this a referendum on the team's leadership? Is it a referendum on like I, like I just you know to me, Dave Tippett's one of the elite coaches in the NHL, and I I just thought it was such a nice fit because I thought he brought such structure to this team, and, and the special teams play, I think, reflects that during the regular season, even during this series. You know, the penalty kill's been really good. It, it, what kind of, so what kind of follow might there be if, if the Oilers are bounced by a really, let's call it what it is, a, a team that probably, you know, had zero chance to make the playoffs in the normal season, and, you know, you can argue whether they should be in this the competition at all. You know, I've been thinking about that a lot over the last couple of days, and it, it, I kind of go two different ways. And, and one is, you know, coming into the season, really, they no one or very few people thought the Oilers should make the playoffs, right? So there, there's that uh, element to it. I think, uh, you know, Ken Holland has has kind of revamped this team slowly, and, and they're on the, the upswing. Um, but that said, I mean, there's still some 
some key holes in this lineup that, that couldn't be fixed over one summer. So they're, they're still, um, with due respect to, to Kyler Yamamoto coming in, um, he's been a huge help, um, you know, over the last half of the year. They're still short at least one top six winger uh, that can play with, with Leon Dreisaitl and, and Connor McDavid. And they added Tyler Ennis, who's now out indefinitely, um, and, and Andreas Athanasiu certainly doesn't seem like he, he's the answer. Um, so they're still short. Um, they're still short a, a winger in the top six. Top four defense um, has has improved this year under um, under Tippett and associate coach Jim Playfair. Um, but you're, you're you're certainly seeing that you, you know ideally you need another top four defenseman there. Um, Adam Larson missed um, missed game uh, three, being unfit to play. But he's had you know the first two games were just miserable on his part. Um, you know, they're, they're relying a lot on Ethan Bear, who's a rookie. Um, he's played pretty well, but again, a rookie. And, and so, you know, they really need another another defense defenseman in that, in that mix. Goaltending, you know, as I mentioned, is, is still a question mark. You've got you know, Mike Smith, who's 38, and Miko Koskinen, who's, who's still, you know, he only played his second full season in this league, even, even though he's in his early 30s. Um, so, you know, Smith is a free agent and, and there, there could be an upgrade potentially there, although with a flat cap, that could be a little bit challenging to do. And the bottom six, although um, very good on, on, you know, a lot of key contributors talking about, you know, Riley Shan and, and Josh Archibald, Jujar Kara on the penalty kill. Um, they don't bring much offense and, you know, that top six and, and their, you know, their five on five play was just absolutely miserable this year. And then, you know, the bottom bottom sixth of the league in that in that respect in terms of goals uh, goals for and against it and Corsi for and those you know types of numbers so um you know obviously mcdavid and, and dry settle uh, ryan Eugene hopkins uh you know there's there's a lot of good high-end pieces but there are a lot of, of still holes that that need to be filled on this team um that that you know you couldn't expect ken holland to to fill in one summer so um, if they lose, you know, it would certainly be a disappointment. They were clear um, favorites against the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, but, I, you know, I, I I thought this team could get to this as far as the second round. But, I, you know, I don't think anyone really thought they could get too much further than that. So uh, you definitely it would, you know, hope that they could beat the Blackhawks. But losing, you know, especially in these kind of bizarro times and in a short series, I don't think would be in the end of the world. But it does show, you know, the, the types of... of um, you know, growing pains and, 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 and things that need to improve on this roster. Hmm. Well, you mentioned a uh, top winger. Uh, uh, my scouting sources tell me there's a kid named Alexis Lafreniere <laughs> who might be okay. So uh, now, of course, that's a joke that uh, no one has used in the last few days. So uh, you want to credit me on that one too, Daniel. That'd be great. But uh, thank you so much for getting up early on a Friday morning, Black Friday, six elimination games in the NHL coming your way. I hope you get a chance to at least have a bit of a rest, a bit of a break before the big day. Um, and you should read Daniel Nugent Bowman's Oilers coverage at the Athletic Edmonton and follow DNB at DNB Sports. So, Daniel, thanks for doing this. It's been a ton of fun to hang out. You're very welcome. Anytime. All right, here we go. Bringing to a close this playoff edition of two-man advantage black friday about to unfold in a matter of hours 
You should always, uh, in the breaks that you have during your hockey day, you should listen to Two Man Advantage, the full episode. This week, Corey Schneider of the New Jersey Devils joined Pierre Lebrun and myself. That was fun. It was great to hear Pierre again after his time away from work, so that was fun. And the two of us actually wormed our way into Craig Custance's The Full 60 podcast, a special return-to-play national roundtable with Craig Katie Strang, Ryan Clark, and as I mentioned, Pierre and I joined as well. You should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic App. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show's URL, theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. We'll be back Monday with a recap of all that transpires over the weekend, set up the draft lottery phase two, and what the first round of the playoffs, best of seven style, will look like. Join us. 